Hi, and welcome to the MVR podcast number seven. I'm Rachel Almer. And I'm Peter Jacob. And today we're talking about when do you stop doing MVR? Good question. Do you yeah. want to start, Peter? Yeah, well, the, the question came up in a recent supervision session with colleagues in uh, a CAMS service in a child and adolescent mental health service. And I was intrigued by that question. And I guess the first thing that came to my mind after the question was raised as a theme in the supervision was, what is NVR? So, you know, if we ask, when do you stop doing NVR, we need to know, what do we mean when we say NVR? You know, Hmm. and to me, that was the starting point of the conversation, you know. And then a colleague uh, spoke about a case, and as that unfolded, and we looked at all the different layers and aspects uh, involved in that case, it, it just seemed to become apparent that there are very different understandings of what NVR is. Mm. And I, I was just wondering, you know, when, when you train um, or when you supervise colleagues, what, what sort of understandings of NVR do you come across? I, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think most of the people who I supervise have a period of time to deliver this approach. So um, when do you do MVR? Will you do it and deliver it within a period of time? And then there is an ending that when you walk away from that piece of work, I think that's that's the mindset of the practitioner i think for the parent they do when do they stop doing mvr they don't they don't stop they carry on okay so a lot of the people you train particularly if their organization i'm i'm thinking of local authorities um they generally have a time frame uh, Mm. number of sessions that is allocated to each case and their focus I guess is how the parents interact with the child that yeah with the Mm. child whose behavior is is problematic Mm. much of the time so there is an understanding of NVR as in the widest sense a parenting approach when quote unquote do nvr then we are working with parents and the support network around the parents of course Mm. to help the parents do something respond to the challenges that the child's difficult behavior presents to them to do something that helps them to step out of being controlled by the child yeah, that is one understanding of what what NVR is. Is that is that the kind of understanding that you come across uh, with most colleagues? Yeah, generally that is yeah that is the understanding. 
and 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 how how do they communicate that that they think of that as NVR and those are the limits of NVR, so to speak? How do the the colleagues communicate that? You mean? Yeah, yeah. What, what are the sort of thoughts that they share, or maybe the thoughts that they don't share, or the questions that they don't share? I'm just wondering about that. I think that I think. I think there are many different understandings of every individual's understanding of the MVR of MVR. And and I think many people think they do too. So they've been trained in parenting approaches which are very manualized and therefore their work with parents is they they do to them. They go and they they I don't know, they work with them around raising presence and taking action and then and then they leave and then they've done their job. That's it. They've, they've finished. So they, they focus on the dyad between parent and child and then mm. supporters around the family. That is mm. So in a sense, that would constitute the boundaries of NVR. That is NVR and anything outside of that people would think, well, that's something different. Mm. I'm, I'm thinking of a, a different scenario. Mm. So um, I, I'm thinking of the scenario, and, and that actually did come up recently, of a mother who is working very hard within the framework of NVR to um, resist her son's aggressive behavior. Hmm. Um, who has rolled back a lot of the accommodation of her son. So she's stopped giving in uh, much of the time. She has brought in supporters to help her give the message that his aggression is not acceptable. And he stopped being violent. Mm-hmm. He has been violent for a long time. And yet um, he still does not for perhaps a variety of reasons, does not routinely attend school, in spite of her best efforts. Mm. And she is uncertain that the school has made reasonable adjustments. He has certain special needs. Mm. And an educational welfare officer is getting involved who may uh, initiate a prosecution. Okay. What do we do with that? Do we say, well, we're no longer involved because we've done the NVR? Mm. Or do we feel that the NVR work takes a new turn, has a new direction? Mm. What, what, what would your take be on that? Well, I would, yeah, I would go with that, the, the latter the the MVR work has taken a new turn, and and what would you see as the new turn from 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 your? I think raising uh, uh, being more creative in the work with the school, and how to encourage the mother to demonstrate um, a different I don't know different level of agency within her relationship with the child's school and how she can encourage the school to become much more part of that network 
um, home and school, school and home. So I think it would take a new, for me personally. So maybe, just maybe, mm-hmm. certain people in the school have a dim view of the mother. Maybe they feel she isn't doing enough or not doing the right things that would make the boy go to school. And their response sort of lies within what we call the logic of control in NVR. If the boy Mm. is not coming to school, then we need to get the EWO to threaten prosecution. Because that'll make him go. Because that'll make him go. Of course, as we know, in reality, it usually does not work. Mm. Or in some cases, it backfires. Mm. It can increase the escalation between parent and child. It could lead to a resurgence in escalation because the the parent might feel she needs to push the kid Mm. uh, rather than work nonviolently. You know, um, so what you're suggesting is that we shift our attention somewhat and we include the relationship between the parent and the school and perhaps look at, and you said to help the mother become more creative, or is it? that we become more creative as NVR. Yeah, we become more, yeah and, and we become more creative in how we engage the school and the mother together. It doesn't take a lot for a mother to, um, I don't know what, what term we would use, to, to sort of pull the rug from under our feet in the school environment. So some criticism or things that aren't even said, but there is an undercurrent of thoughts from the school towards the mother and her ability to get her child to school and the threat of EWO and, and prosecution can, you know, it doesn't take a lot for her to um, lose the confidence that she may have already gained in the process of MVR and reducing violence in the home. Um, it doesn't take a lot for a parent to lose sight, some criticisms from school, and she's back faced with violence again, that she can be easily swayed into that logic of control that I must make him that's my job so she can go back into those old roles that old those old communication styles that didn't work does that make sense I've rambled a bit there no I'm really interested in that image that you used and the Mm. way you put it it doesn't take much to pull the rug out from under her feet and for the confidence that she has gained in the process of our NVR work with her, mm. for that to diminish or for that to, you know, get lost. Yeah. Then she could get back into escalating with her son, under feeling under stress and mm. under duress. So, and, and I'm really interested in that. And, and you, you switched from talking about a mother to a parent, but this parent is a mother, <laughs> that we that the two of us seem to be imagining or thinking of she's a woman mm. I, I was just getting interested in the the gendered aspect of that mm-hmm. uh, how is it that a mother may may um may feel uh, that the rug is pulled out under her feet 
perhaps in a way that could be different from the way a father might feel that. Yeah. Oh, you know, I think just generally in society, in our communities, that parents tend, the primary carer tends to be a mother. Yeah. And the mother tends to be the one who does communicate with the school and with the support network. Um, so there, there lies that responsibility on her lap. Yeah. So she's held responsible. Yeah, that big responsibility is on her lap. Yeah. 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 Not not fathers. So what what is it that particularly for her as a female can pull that rug out from under her feet? Because you you mentioned both explicit things, but also uh, subtle things. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as we we're all too familiar about the unspoken language, sometimes not even the spoken language. Mm-hmm. And if a parent, a mother, is 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 under duress of getting her child to school, um, those just that fact in itself is a huge responsibility. It won't take, I believe, it wouldn't take a lot for that rug to be pulled. Just, you know, from the school's perspective of her efforts, her efforts and her home life to to maintain a non-violent existence with her child, I think could be overlooked by the school and misunderstood. So explicit or implicit questions like what's going on at home that's Mm -hmm. causing him not to go to school Mm. or what are you not doing Mm. um what um what's wrong yeah what's wrong so an implicit understanding there must be something wrong with her parenting and that probably goes to the core of her sense of who she is. Yeah. I mean, just what's wrong. I was imagining this mother listening to those words from a school teacher. What's wrong? What's What's going on? Is is there something going on at home? Yeah. Blame. That's all I heard. (laughs) Yeah. So I would imagine that she, that would have a tremendous impact on her. And it's not, it's not necessarily linked to the person she is, to her personality, to her earlier life experiences. Mm-hmm. It is simply something that will undermine her as a parent mm-hmm. because it's, it's also coming from people who are respected, people who are in a position of authority. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's coming from people who are of a different social class. Maybe it's coming from people who are of a different race. All these things um, can then even impact uh, more on her. And it could be a gender thing, that it's a male teacher who's also... It could be a gender. Absolutely. I, I was also just thinking, I had a conversation with a dad who is very involved. Hmm. And he said to me, there's also a gender aspect of something that hits him as a dad. And it's it's sort of an emasculating message. Hmm. It's the message, why don't you have control over your child? You're a man. Yeah. yeah? Why don't you as a man put your foot down? Hmm. 
he said that the message isn't put in so many words, but implicitly in the way that you know you get looked at, it can there can be the question in the room: What kind of a man are you? Well, the, the common one is man up. Man up. But nobody ever says woman up. Do yeah. They? No. So that could pull the rug out from under a father. Mm. Mm. So these are difficult things. So just coming back to what you said earlier about being creative, mm. about, about working in the relationship between the mother or the father, maybe, or both parents and the school, what what was on your mind about that creativity or creativeness? Well, I think this... I, I never forget a meeting I uh, went to at a school to support a mother um, for the school to become part of the system, to be part of the network. And a teacher said, so you're expecting us to treat Johnny differently? And I said, thank you, because she wasn't expecting me. For <laughs> <laughs> me, it was a real sense of my own creativity about that comment and my response was my response is I am expecting you to support this mother and this child in in his education and his attendance which will greatly reduce this stress from this mother that knowing that he's going to school because then that, that impacts she can go to work blah 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 and I was faced with that you know so you want us to treat him different he's just one of 500 kids in this school you want us to treat yeah, I do. Thank you. Thank you, I said. <laughs> I, I love that response because it, it turned everything on its head, didn't it? Oh, sure. The question was a leading question, wasn't it? It wasn't an open question. It, you know, So you expect us to treat this kid different from any other kid, and you're supposed to answer, no, 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 of course not. But you said, thank you. Yeah, I didn't even say, yes, I do. I said, yeah. thank you. Thank so you. I was automatically assuming at the end of this meeting, we'll have a plan in place. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm just thinking of how you were inviting that teacher to think out of the box, outside of the box. And I guess also, in a sense, creating space for the support needs of the parent in that mm -hmm. conversation, in that three-way conversation. So you, the teacher, the mother, or the father, I don't know. Was it a mother or a father? Mother, mother. A mother. Mm. But you, the teacher, the mother, you you were making space for what the mother needs from the school that may not be laid out in the school's behavior policy. Mm. Yeah. And that space for so so that to me that is a, a very gentle but form of resistance. The resistance against, in this case, the rigidity of a system. Mm -hmm. An opening space for for needs that had not been articulated before, and where normally space would just be closed down because that question that was a closing down question. Hmm. You know, it, it was it would normally close down the conversation right then and there. For me, it was. I mean, I love that. I love that analogy. Yeah, I didn't know that was probably what I was doing, but. For me, it was a, a verbal um, reassurance to the mother that this is doable. Yeah. We can do this. We can do this. Yeah, we can do this. So we can, not we can't. Yeah, it was just that we can do this. Yeah. Doable. Yeah. 
Hmm. Yeah. So should we just take uh, a few minutes to um, look at what we've uh, reflect on what we what we've been speaking about? Well, when we when do you stop doing MVR? I think it's a question I get asked a lot in in the early stages of training, and for me, we don't. You trained me 15 years ago. I'm still doing MVR. Yeah. On a personal level, I'm still practicing yeah. MVR. Yeah. I don't. I didn't stop it. Um, it's yeah. It's something that resonates within me, and I think a practice from a practitioner's point of view, there has to be an ending because it's it's work, and that's yeah. So, I think, but for different people, for different things. Hmm. For me, what really transpired is that. NVR is much more than a parenting approach. Mm. That parenting work is part of our, our our efforts when we practice NVR. But that resistance is part of the human condition. Mm. And there's a role for resistance in any relationship within a within a system. Mm. So um Part of it may be supporting the parent in their parenting. Part of it may be supporting the parent in resisting the uh, inflexibility of a system. Mm. Uh, part of it may be creating space for needs which would not normally be allowed to be articulated. Mm. And um, I think if we can... If we can develop that in our practice, we can move much further. Yeah, for sure. No, it's been good. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to the Fortnightly podcast. Take care. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>